Uh, I want to say Good Friday service is going to be powerful. We're going to have communion together uh, at the Good Friday service. We're going to partake of the body and blood of the Lord. Uh, so I want to invite you to uh, be here for that. Also, if you are going to be joining us online for our Good Friday service, which will be streamed live 7 p.m. on the 7th of April, uh, we want to invite you to just get some crackers and some juice and join us for communion with your family on that day, right there in the privacy of your own home. So that we want you to you know, take some time to prepare for that so that we can all partake of communion together, the body and blood of the Lord. Also, you don't want to miss Easter Sunday morning, which is the 9th of April. Easter Sunday morning is going to be awesome because the Lineage Choir is going to be singing. And so uh, Pastor Chenway is rehearsing with the team, and it's going to be dope. It's going to be off the charts. We're about to get sturdy. That's going to be my new one. That's going to be... I never heard that before today. I heard no cap and, you know... All right, uh, today uh, we are embarking on the third installment of our series, Jesus Unknown, Jesus Unknown Part 3. Uh, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of John, chapter 3, verses 1. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry, we're putting it up on the screen. Don't even trip. Uh, John, chapter 3, verses 1. Starting at verse 1, this is what it says. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. And we'll end here with verse 9. Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? Father, I pray today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you'd speak to us mightily by the power of your word and spirit. We give you praise in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Nicodemus is a religious leader in Israel. He's basically one of the pastors. Uh, he is a well-known religious leader, a highly respected religious leader, and a deeply learned and intelligent man. In order to become a religious leader in ancient Israel, in order to become one of the Pharisees, which Nicodemus was, in order to join the ranks of the rabbis amongst whom Nicodemus found his place, you had to be extremely learned in the scriptures. Nicodemus probably had the entire Old Testament memorized. Nicodemus not only had probably memorized the entire Old Testament, but he also had studied very deeply and intently the Mishnah and other rabbinic writers. He had studied the scholars of Israel. So he not only knew the scriptures, but he understood the scholars who studied the scriptures. And he had learned virtually everything that there was to be learned about what was written in the Old Testament text. And he was amongst a group of highly learned highly devout, highly godly men that called themselves the Pharisees. Now, when we hear the word Pharisee, it's a pejorative term. It's a negative term. Matter of fact, one of the worst things you can, one of the worst insults you can call someone in a church is a Pharisee, <laughs> right? It's like, it's like calling somebody Judas. Like, you know, Judas, it's just a negative word. It's like an insult. It wasn't in the first century. In the first century, it was a great compliment. If somebody said, man, you're such a Pharisee, you'd be like, thanks. For real? <laughs> you think I'm a Pharisee? For real? <laughs> oh, man, that's tight. Thank you. That's what I'm talking about. That's who I want to be. As a Matter of fact, Jesus himself, it could be argued, was a Pharisee. He studied under a Pharisee named um, uh, he studied under rabbi. We actually don't know the name of the rabbi that Jesus studied under, but he was taught in the system of Pharisaical Judaism. So he comes out of the Pharisees so that when he attacks the Pharisees, he's attacking his own family. When he critiques the Pharisees, he's critiquing his own family. Yeah. He's critiquing his own people. 
And what we find when you look at the history of Christianity is that many of the Pharisees came to become believers in Jesus Christ and devout followers in Jesus Christ. And when you go to the book of Acts, you've got thousands upon thousands of Pharisees. Matter of fact, one of the great Pharisees who came to faith in Jesus Christ was a guy that we know of as the Apostle Paul. According to law, a Pharisee, right? He was a Hebrew of Hebrews, of the tribe of Benjamin, of the stock of Israel, right? And so the Pharisees were very godly. And matter of fact, the Pharisees were a lot like us in that, number one, the Pharisees believed firmly in the authority of Scripture and clung to a literal interpretation of Scripture as opposed to the Sadducees who clung to a very allegorical interpretation of scripture, specifically when it came to the laws and when it came to the call for righteousness, the, the, the Sadducees were like, ah, let's, you know, let's, that's a metaphor. You know, God doesn't really expect us to live righteous. But the Pharisees were like, no, God truly expects us to live uprightly. Yeah. Number two, the Pharisees believed in the supernatural inbreaking of the power of God. They believed in miracles and signs and wonders. Unlike the Sadducees, who basically were cessationists, they believed that all the miracles of the Old Testament were over and God no longer worked miracles. And number three, the Pharisees believed in the resurrection of the dead, that at the end of the age, there would be a resurrection to life, that God would raise uh, the righteous from the dead and the unrighteous, and there would be a great judgment, which also is at the core of the Christian faith and at the te- of the teaching of Jesus. So the Pharisees, there was a lot of good in the Pharisees. The only problem that Jesus found with the Pharisees is that they trusted all of this good to be the means of their salvation. You see, the Pharisees thought they were accepted by God because they they were striving in their own strength to live uprightly. They thought that that pleased God. The Pharisees thought that they would be accepted by the Messiah because of what they believed and how they lived their lives. They thought that they were acceptable to God because they did right and they believed right. And at the core message of the gospel is not that it's wrong to be right, to live right, to believe right, but that there is no amount of believing right and doing right that can ever cause you to be acceptable to God. That if God accepts you, it's his grace. It's his mercy. And that was the one shift that the Apostle Paul made in his believing. That he thought that his righteousness came from the law. But the great revelation was that his righteousness came by faith in Jesus Christ. And that everything that he thought he had amassed and all of his achievements in the law, he said it was like dung. It was like doo-doo. It came to nothing. It was like filthy rags. And he said, I count it all as rubbish, as garbage. For the excellency of knowing Christ and being found in him, having a righteousness not of my own. He came to the end of it and said, I can't live right enough to be accepted by God. I have to come to him just as I am and fall on his mercy. And he has to forgive me and he has to make me right. That is the only difference. Now, here in John chapter 3, we've got this dude named Nicodemus, like we, we talked about, a Pharisee a ruler of the Pharisees, a pastor of pastors, a bishop, if you will. He is secretly attracted to Jesus. He can't let his homeboys know that he's secretly attracted to Jesus because the Pharisees overall have rejected Jesus. So he comes to Jesus by night. He comes to Jesus by night because he doesn't want to be seen coming to Jesus. He's an undercover brother. He's coming to Jesus on the DL. And when he comes to Jesus, he begins the conversation with Jesus by recounting his conclusion that he came to on the basis of his observation. He begins the conversation with Jesus by claiming to know him. Big problem. Lesson number one of the Christian faith. When you come to Jesus... Don't pretend to know him. When you come to Jesus, come with the empty hands of faith that say, I don't know you, but I need you to reveal yourself to me. Let him show you who he is instead of pretending to know who he is. Side point, remember the Syrophoenician woman? 
She comes to Jesus and says, Oh, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Oh, thou son of David, Baruch HaBabesh Shem Adonai. She's like quoting Hebrew and calling him the son of David. My daughter is demon-possessed. Please heal her. And Jesus ignores her. And what does he say? It's not good to take the bread that's for the children and cast it to the dogs. And he says it to his disciples in front of the woman. He's not even talking to her. He treats her so bad. And suddenly she realizes, you hear what he's saying? It's not right for me to take the bread that's for the children and throw it to the dogs. What he's saying is she's pretending to be an Israelite and she's not. I know that she's not who she claims to be. She ain't fooling nobody. That's what he's saying to the disciples, but he's saying it to her like, you ain't fooling nobody. Coming in here, acting all sanctimony. Oh, son of David. Oh, son of David. And he said, just, will you just be real? Will you just stop putting on airs? Will you just stop trying to dress up your sin in a nice eight-piece suit to pretend that you're holy on Sundays when you're not? Will you just come to me as you are? It's not good to take the bread that's for the children and cast it to the dogs. And she realizes that her religiousness is not working. So she embraced the invitation to just be real. And here's what she says. Yeah, but Lord, even the dogs eat the bread, the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And he goes, that's it. Now he addresses her. You got it. Not only is your daughter healed, but he looks at the disciples and said, you see what she just did right there? I haven't found any faith like hers, even in Israel. First, he says, you're not of Israel, so this ain't for you. And then he says, you got more faith than anyone in Israel that I've ever found. Why? Because she was willing to come to him as she was. She was willing to drop the pretenses. She was willing to drop the religious terminology. See, a lot of people come to church and think, I need to learn the, the, big, the religious words. I need to learn the Christianese. Jesus rebuked her for speaking Christianese. And when she just came talking like she was, he said, that is the faith that I'm looking for. Just as you are. Just as I am without one plea. But that thy blood was shed for me. I love, you know, we, we used to have these, uh, <laughs> um, we used to have a couple of like uh, motorcycle guys in our church when we first started. They looked like Hell's Angels. They were not Hell's Angels, but they looked like Hell's Angels. They were wearing these leather vests and they were big old white dudes, you know. And <laughs> we had this guy who came and visited, black dude, and he put on his nicest suit and he came and sat down and he told me after the service, he said, these two Hell's Angels came and sat in front of me wearing leather. And I thought, oh, Lord, they got Hell's Angels in this church. And he said, they sat right in front of me. I couldn't see. I wanted to ask them to move, but I was scared. <laughs> he goes, so I just moved myself. <laughs> and he thought, man, people come in here dressed all kinds of ways. You don't have to assume the position. You don't have to dress in a certain way in order to come to this place. You don't have to pretend to be more religious than you actually are. You simply have to want to come to Jesus. My buddy David, who's a pastor now, tells me about when he first got saved and the kind of life he used to live uh, before he got saved. And when he first got saved, some of that was still in him. And he said at church one Sunday, they'd invi- they invited him to come up and pray over the congregation. He was so excited. And he dropped three F-bombs in that prayer. <laughs> He's like, God, just effing destroy the enemy that's coming against your people today, God. And just effing bless your people today, God. And he didn't even realize that it. it was just like so. And you know what? Nobody said it. Everybody said amen. Because they saw the sincerity of his heart. Nicodemus says, I know that you're a teacher who comes from God. And he starts by calling him rabbi, which means teacher. But not just any teacher, not just somebody with a teaching credential. In order to be called rabbi, you had to have gone through the entire 15-year rabbinic process and then been a teacher for 15 years. So he gives Jesus the title rabbi, and Jesus is only like 30 years old. So Jesus shouldn't qualify to be a rabbi. But he's looking at his life, and he's seeing stuff in his life that he doesn't even see in any of the other rabbis. So he's like, we know you're a rabbi. Because nobody can do the works that you do unless God has sent him. So he wants to have a conversation with Jesus about his, own, about his rabbinic merits. 
I just want you to know, Jesus, that we accept you. I accept you as a rabbi. I just want you to know that we accept you as one of us. Just want you to know, Jesus, that you're allowed in our club. And I'm, you know, I've talked to the guys, and you know, there's a few of us that we're going to put in a good word for you to make sure that a spot is made for you in our club. And Jesus responds, unless a man is born again, he cannot, enter, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Completely changing channels on him. Like, I, I don't even, I'm not even willing to enter the discussion about your club. How many know Jesus does not care about your club? Yeah. He is not running for office. Yeah. He's not participating in your sweepstakes. He's not buying your raffle tickets. He's not sitting around in heaven hoping you'll accept him. Nicodemus starts the conversation by saying, hey, I think I can help you get accepted. And Jesus responds, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Translation, the question is not whether or not I'm accepted in your club. The question is whether or not you're accepted in mine. Nicodemus says, I can tell you how to get into the Pharisees. And Jesus says, I can tell you how to get into heaven. So instead of putting in a good word for me, go tell the Pharisees I can put in a good word for them. Because I could care less about your club, but you should care deeply about mine. Because membership in your club only lasts this life, but membership in my club lasts for eternity. So Jesus says, unless a man is born again, look at what is it, verse 2? Put it up there again. Uh, Look look at verse 3. There it is. Jesus answered Three. Jesus answered and said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Yeah. Translation, you see a teacher who comes from God. I want to show you the kingdom of God. Yeah. Teacher, you missed it by a mile. Uh-huh. I'm a teacher. That's what you've concluded that I'm a teacher. Yeah, you, you completely missed it. Yeah. But if you get born again, you'll see it. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The invitation that Jesus offers Nicodemus is not an invitation to come to church. Not an invitation to let go of his quote-unquote sins and live a more godly life. But to be born again. This verse is the gospel in a nutshell. You must be born again. And it seems to me that modern day Christianity is preaching everything but you must be born again. We're preaching you must come to church. We're preaching you must stop cussing. We're preaching you must stop getting drunk. And you must stop smoking. Even weed, even though it's legal. (laughs) Must stop doing drugs. You must stop having sex outside of marriage, and you definitely must stop being gay. That's what we're teaching. And that's how you get saved, if you stop doing these things. And how many know that you can stop doing all of those things and you're no more saved than you were before you you stopped? You cannot stop doing stuff your way into heaven. And then the other thing we're teaching is you must start coming to church every Sunday. You must start giving your tithe. You must start serving a ministry. And you must start participating in church events. You must start praying every day and reading your Bible every day. So we got the stuff that you got to stop doing. And then we got the stuff that you got to start doing. And if you stop doing this stuff and start doing this stuff, you'll get into the kingdom of God. How many know that you can stop all of this and start all of this and still go straight to hell? In other words, modern day Christianity has reduced the faith and the gospel down to morality and religiosity. Morality is the stuff you stop doing. Religiosity is the stuff you start doing. And that was Pharisaicalism. That's how the Pharisees lived before Christ came on the scene. We have recreated Pharisaical Judaism in modern day Christianity. We've just changed the doctrinal structure and just added Jesus to it. 
We've gone backwards, not forwards. Nicodemus came to Jesus to incorporate him into their system. And Jesus refuses to be incorporated into that system. And then on the other side, because of the disillusionment with this system of morality and religiosity, we've now got the opposite in modern-day Christianity. Throw out all the morality, throw out all the religiosity, but still claim Jesus. So now, drink all you want, smoke all you want, sex all you want, do everything you want to do, and forget about church and all of that stuff, just claim Jesus. I'm a Christian. Praise God. Hallelujah. And both of them are wrong. And cutting through both of those deceptions is the clear word of Jesus Christ. You must be born again. You must be born again. You must be born again. Nicodemus says, how can a man be born again when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born again? Jesus Christ, no, 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 Jesus, no, 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 no. You're talking about being born of flesh. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. I'm not talking about being born again in the flesh. I'm talking about being born again in the spirit. Follow, stay with me. Nicodemus says, how can these things be? Jesus says, you're Israel's teacher and you don't get it. The wind blows wherever it goes, and you hear the sound of it, but you don't, where, you don't know which way it's going or where it's coming from. So is every man who is born of the Spirit. When you go further in the passage, Jesus ends by saying, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's that passage. It happens in this conversation with Nicodemus that leaves Nicodemus completely confused. And Nicodemus walks away confused. But deep in his heart, his heart has been awakened by the mystery. Because that invitation to be born again, it's a mystery. And I think we, do so, we try so hard to explain it and make it understandable that we step right over the mystery of it. You must be born again. Meaning you cannot assume that you are in the kingdom because you are in the church. Any more that you can assume that you're Mexican because you're in Taco Bell. (laughs) Participating in religious services and goods does not make you a Christian. Only being born again. Put it together. You got to go to Matthew 13, 44, which is another verse in which Jesus gives us the entirety of the Christian faith in a single verse. You don't have to turn there. Just write it down. You don't even have to put it up. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who found a treasure in a field. And when he found it, he buried it again. And in his joy, He went out. I told you not to put it up. Y'all don't listen to me out there. No, I want you to hear it. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who found a treasure in a field. And when he found it, he buried it again. And in his joy, he went out and sold all he had and came back and bought that field. Imagine it. Homeboy's just out for a walk in a barren field. Nothing attractive at all about the field. And all of a sudden, he trips over something. What is this? He sees the corner of some kind of box. So he starts digging. What's in this box? After a while, he's unearthed the box, and he pulls it out, and he opens it up. And it's like in the cartoons where somebody opens a treasure, and it's like gleaming, ding. He's like, whoa! He finds in that box the greatest treasure that he has ever even conceived of in in his entire... He didn't even know that such a treasure existed in the earth. Greater than any treasure that was ever spoken of in any fairy tale. And he looks around and nobody sees it but him. He closes the box 
sticks it back under the earth and buries it. This is a secret. And he runs home. First, he runs to the owner of the field. He goes, hey, that field, is it for sale? And I says, yeah, I guess so. How much will it cost? And the guy goes, huh? And he names the price, and the guy thinks, that's about the value of everything I own. He goes, I'll be right back. And he runs home, excited in his joy. He went home and sold everything he had. In his joy, went home and sold everything. Runs in the house, goes, baby, we're selling everything. His wife's like, what? What you talking about? No, you don't understand. Wait till you see this. We're selling everything. And he just, without, his wife doesn't even agree yet. He just starts selling everything. First he sells the house, then he sells the cars. His wife comes home, her closet is empty. He sold all her clothes. Her jewelry boxes are gone. She takes off her wedding ring and sticks it on the, on the bedside. The next morning, the wedding ring is gone. He sold it. The kids are playing Nintendo or Game Boy or, or whatever they're playing these days, Xbox or what are they? Switch. Takes it out of their hands and sell, the kids are crying because he's selling their toys. Nobody has anything but the clothes on their back. And this man is now overjoyed because after we've sold everything, we can now buy the field. Him and his family with a, probably a wheelbarrow full of cash or gold coins, or shekels, or whatever they had in ancient Israel. They make their way over to the field. They say, I'm here to buy that field. And the guy's like, all right. And he jumps up and down as he hands over the wheelbarrow with everything that they possess. Yeah. And the man signs the deed and hands it over him. The field is now yours. He's jumping up and down. He's hugging his wife. He's hugging his kids. We got it, kids. We got it. We got it. We got it. And they, he runs in the field and starts dancing. And, and his wife, it hits her that he gave up everything for an empty field. His kids are in the dirt crying because dad is crazy. He's lost his mind. He took away everything from us to bring us to this empty dirt field that is worth nothing. And the wife comes to the husband with tears in her eyes and says, why have you taken away our everything to buy this field? There's not even a house on this field. We're going to sleep in the dirt now. And he goes, ah, I'll tell you why you're not excited. Because I know something you don't know. This is not just an ordinary field. There's a treasure in this field that is greater than anything that you've ever seen before in your life. Wife, come. Kids, come. And he takes them to the spot and they start to dig. And they're tired and thirsty and hungry. Dad, why are we digging? He says, just keep digging. There's a treasure here. And they dig and they dig and they dig until they come to the box. And he pulls the box out of the ground. They're now covered in dirt. But he says, watch this. And he opens the box. And his family sees the treasure. And they start jumping and shouting and dancing and crying with joy. And they realize at that moment that the treasure is so valuable that even if we have to sleep in the dirt of this field, it is worth it to be near this treasure. Yeah. In that parable, the field is religion yeah. and morality. The field is the church. The field is the Sunday morning service. The Friday night service. The field is the community groups, the prayer meeting, the tithes and offerings. The field is also morality. The field is your sexuality. The field is money. Everything that you surrender to come to Christ and everything that you embrace to come to Christ, it's all the field. 
And what happens when you've been living in the field without the treasure, you wonder what you're doing there. Why would anybody want to live in this field? Do you know the stuff I gave up to come to this field? I sold everything to buy this field, and it's an empty field. And what happens, people grow up in the field from the time they're children, and they walk away at a certain point, and we're trying to convince them that the field is valuable. The field is so valuable. Isn't it? The songs we sing, isn't it great? No. It's all right. But there's better music in the world. The community. Isn't it great? No. Your better friends are out there. You got people that you're already friends with, and they're not here. There's nothing about the field that is more valuable than what you can find out there. The only thing that's valuable about the field is that the treasure is in it. And listen to me. The treasure is Jesus Christ himself. And what happens is people hang out in the field but never seek the treasure. People seek the field and then wonder why you go home empty. I went to church today, went to the field today, but did you find the treasure? Not really. I'm so sorry for you. Because let me tell you something, folks. Let me be the first to tell you. If Jesus was not real and if he was not the treasure in this field, I would not be here. I guarantee you I'd be the first one to leave the church if Jesus wasn't in it. I would not be a Christian. I've heard people say, even if Jesus is not real, I would still be a Christian. No, I would not be a Christian. Not for five minutes. The value of the field is in the treasure. Now go back to John 3. When Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. He was inviting him to know the treasure. The treasure is Jesus in the heart. The treasure is Jesus on the inside of your soul. The treasure is Jesus being born in you, living in you. The treasure is just a closer walk with Jesus. The treasure is the presence of Jesus, the power of Jesus, the word of Jesus, the glory of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the wisdom of Jesus, the knowledge of Jesus, the treasure. This is the treasure that Paul said, I count everything, all of my achievements in my life, I count it as A hill of rubbish, dung, garbage to know Jesus, the knowledge of Jesus. That's my treasure. It's knowing Jesus. And if we are anything, what we are supposed to be is a place where we come together to seek the treasure. That's what the church is. That's what the church is. We don't, we're not a, a, a gathering of people who come to appreciate the field. So often the church becomes the place where people come together to dress up the field. Let's make the field more desirable. Let's build out the field and let's put a a swimming pool in the field so people will like staying in the field. And let's build a resort in the field. And we forget the treasure. We're not here to build the field. We're here to dig for the treasure. When you come to church, you should come with a shovel. A spiritual shovel. I'm coming to dig for the treasure. I know the treasure's in there, but we just got to dig for it. But the treasure is there. The treasure is there. The treasure is there. Because Jesus said, wherever two or more are gathered in my name, I'm there. I'm there. I'm there. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. And when we forget that, we miss the opportunity. It's not an opportunity to come to church. It's an opportunity to come to Jesus. But we also don't get to take the treasure out of the field. That's what the prodigal son tried to do. He said, I got the treasure. I don't need the field anymore. And that's another thing people are doing today. 
I'm trying to divorce Jesus from the church because the church has become, you know, convoluted and or I don't like organized Christianity. So I've t- translation, I'm going to just take the treasure and reject the field. No, you don't get to take the treasure outside of the field. If you want the treasure, you got to stay in the field. That also is Jesus. And I know I don't get as strong of amens on that one, but it is just as true. Nicodemus, you got to be born again, born from above, transformed on the inside of your heart. You got to have Jesus living in you. You got to know him. You got to know him. And you know what happens if you get born again? If you're born into the knowledge of Jesus, if Jesus comes to live in you, guess what happens? First thing that happens is morality. Meaning there's stuff that you don't want to do anymore. Not because you got to give it up to get into heaven, but because you know it grieves the one who died for you. It grieves the one who loved you with an everlasting love. And when when he's on the inside of you, you feel when his heart is grieved. And you say, I don't want to do that. It grieves my Lord. I don't want to grieve my Savior. I don't want to grieve the one who died for me. And you start abstaining for stuff that you don't even know, that there's no scripture that says this is wrong. I just feel that God is grieved when I participate in that. Remember my buddy Tony, he, his testimony is so powerful, how he received Christ, and, and it was just so pure. The way he received Christ, he was, he was a telemarketer, and he was calling, trying to sell people stuff, and he called this one lady, and she goes, no, I don't want that, but can I tell you about Jesus? And he's like, okay, and she preaches the gospel to him, and the Spirit of God falls on him, and he, bra- he just starts weeping, and she leads him in the sinner's prayer. He receives Jesus Christ in his heart, and then she goes, now you've got to find a church, so he finds a church down the street from his house, and he goes to that church, and this evangelist there is there preaching. And the evangelist says, if you want to receive Jesus, come to this altar. Well, he came to the altar to receive Jesus. And then the next night, the evangelist said, if you want to receive Jesus, come to this altar. He came to the altar to receive Jesus again. And the next night, the evangelist said, if you want to receive Jesus, come to this altar. He came running to the altar to receive Jesus. And the evangelist said to him, young man, you've already received Jesus. You don't need to receive him again. But what you're actually hungering for is the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden, Tony lifts his hands and he gets baptized in the Holy Spirit. Bam! The Holy Spirit just fills him to overflowing. He had zero church doctrine, zero church polity. He knew nothing about Christian morality, but he went home and his girlfriend was there and something on the inside of him said, don't do it. And he stopped. He's like, we can't do this. She's like, why? He goes, I don't know, but we just can't. And he went to his pastor. He goes, I'm not supposed to be sleeping with my girlfriend, right? And he goes, no, you're not. He goes, yeah, I didn't think so. It just didn't feel right on the inside. You see how morality came from him knowing Jesus. Not as a prerequisite to knowing Jesus. The message of the gospel is not get yourself right and then come to Jesus. It's come to Jesus and he'll get you right. And a lot of people delay their coming to Jesus because they're not right. Well, I got to get this stuff straight first. You'll never get it straight. Just as you are. Just as you just come to him. And if you mess up again, come back to him. And if you mess up again, come back to him. And keep coming back. And keep coming back. And keep coming back. Because so many of us run from the field because we feel unworthy of the treasure. Guess what? There's not a single one of us that's worthy of the treasure. None of us are worthy of the treasure. Run back to the field. Run back to the treasure and start digging again. Start di- Listen, every time you get on your knees to pray, you're digging for Jesus. Every time you lift up your hands to worship, you're digging for Jesus. Every time you come to the house of God, you're digging for Jesus. Just make a decision. Don't stop digging for Jesus. Don't, and when you dig for Jesus, you, this is how you dig for Jesus. Surrender. Surrender. I release to you my everything, God, my sexuality, my money, my time, my ambitions, my hopes, my dreams, my desires, my finances, my family, my vocation, my job. Remember, it costs you everything you've got. The treasure is that valuable. But once you discover the treasure, it's worth surrendering everything you got. It's worth letting go of everything you got. But letting go of everything you got does not mean cleaning up your life first. It means coming to the treasure with all of your might and trusting the treasure, trusting the treasure to work surrender in you, trusting the treasure to set you free, trusting the treasure because it's more valuable than anything in this world. Nicodemus, you have no clue who I am. Nicodemus came to the Jesus that he thought he knew. And when he got there, he discovered that he had no idea who that Jesus was. Yeah. 
he was coming to a good teacher. But what he discovered was the son of the living God. He was coming to one that he was going to invite to join his club. What he found was Jesus wasn't interested in his club. Jesus invited him to join his. And the club of Jesus is not the local church. The club of Jesus is called the kingdom of God. The local church is the place where we present ourselves to Jesus, seeking him for membership in his club, in his kingdom. That's what the church is. It's the place for seekers. It's the place for diggers. It's not about being perfect. It's about being surrendered. It's about seeing the value of the treasure and running to the treasure with all of your might and being willing to let go of anything that hinders you from running to the treasure. Amen. 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 Charles, come back. Bow your heads with me this morning. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would use the word spoken today to stimulate our hearts to seek the treasure. Lord, so many of us have sought the field and been disillusioned. We've sought the field and been discouraged. We've sought the field and we've all been disappointed by the field. I hear so many people talk about church hurt. And anyone who's been in any church for any length of time has experienced church hurt. Every one of us in this room probably. We're hurt by the field. So many of us have forsaken the field because we were hurt by the field. But Lord, we've forgotten that it's not about the field, it's about the treasure. So Lord, today we set our eyes on the treasure. We set our minds on the treasure. We set our hearts on the treasure. Jesus, you are the treasure. Jesus, you are the treasure. Jesus, you are the treasure. We've come to the field today seeking the treasure. We've come to the field today seeking Jesus, seeking the one who died for us. Lord, the enemy works overtime to get us to run from the treasure. He doesn't mind if we come to the field as long as we don't dig for the treasure. Everything that he throws at us is designed to cause us not to dig for the treasure. But Lord, we step right over that work of the enemy today. For some of us in this room, it's fear, trauma, pain, disappointment, disillusionment, unbelief, whatever it is, shame, condemnation. Today, we just rebuke all that nonsense of the enemy. By the word of the Lord, it has been refuted today. Because the weapons of our warfare are not of this world, but are mighty in God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down vain imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, taking into captivity every thought to the obedience of Jesus Christ. And right now, we cast down vain imaginations. Every demonic suggestion, the lie of the enemy that says you're disqualified, or the lie of the enemy that says you're not holy enough or you're not righteous enough, you're not religious enough, you're not moral enough. You haven't learned the Christianese. We silence those lies of the devil right now in Jesus' name. And we speak the truth to you today by the word of the Lord that it's not about your morality or your religiosity. It has nothing to do with your current state. It simply has to do with the desire of your heart to come to Jesus with all that you are. Bring it all to him. Bring it all to him because he's both the treasure and the owner of the field. He's the owner of the field that you come with all that you are. He's the owner of the field that you just bring that wheelbarrow of cash to. Say, I'm I'm delivering to you all that you are. Please give me the field. Please give me the kingdom. God, I surrender to you. Jesus, I surrender to you my everything. Take me to the treasure. Holy Spirit, this morning we say, take us to the treasure. Take us to the treasure. And this morning, we make no distinction between believers and unbelievers. I don't care where you are. I don't care who you are. I don't care how long you've been in the church. I don't care how many spiritual gifts you move in simultaneously. We are all on an an even playing field today. We stand at the same level. You're either aware of your desperate need for Jesus or you are not. You've either decided in your heart to come to the treasure or you have not. 
But Father, I pray today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that decisions would be made in hearts. I'm coming to the treasure. I'm coming to the treasure. I'm coming to the treasure and I'm running to the field because the treasure's in the field. But when I go to the field, I'm not going for the field. I'm going to dig for the treasure. I'm not going for the field. I'm going for the treasure. I'm going to dig for the treasure. And so, Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that our hearts would begin to dig for the treasure. Jesus, I come seeking you. We've come to seek nothing short of an audience with the living God. We're not satisfied with religiosity. We're not satisfied with good music. Lord, we seek nothing short of an audience with the living God. It is the living Jesus, the true living word. Jesus, it is you, and you are real. You are real. You are not a figment of our religious imagination. You are not a doctrine. You are not a dogma. You are real. You are real. You are true. You are the living God. You are the beginning and you are the end. And you are everything in between. You are the firstborn from among the dead. You are the preeminent over all creation. You are the image of the Godhead in bodily form. You are the resurrection and you are the life. You are the way. You are the truth. You are the life. No one comes to the Father except through you. We seek you, Jesus. And so, Jesus, I pray right now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would reveal yourself to everyone under the sound of my voice, that the lid of that treasure would be opened up and the glory of Jesus would be seen right now, that you would unblind the eyes, unblind every eye, that we might see the glory of Jesus. Show us right now. We seek a revelation of Jesus. Show us right now. We seek a revelation of Jesus. I pray that that revelation of Jesus would go through the live stream into every home, that that revelation of Jesus would go through the podcast, that it would go across the world, that it would sweep the nations. The earth shall be filled with the knowledge of God as the waters cover the seas. The treasure, it's in all the earth. Holy Spirit, we open our hearts to you right now. Put a press in us for the treasure. Put a press in us for the treasure. Put a longing in us for the treasure. And Lord, that longing is already on the inside of us. Some of us are just not aware of it. When David said, as the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul thirsts for you, O God. He was talking about his longing for the treasure. My heart longs 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 for the treasure. Jesus, you are the treasure and our hearts long. Every heart longs for the treasure. Some of us know it, some of us don't. But Lord, I pray that you would give us the revelation of it so that we know it, that we know it and that we would live in the revelation of how deeply we are in need of you, Jesus. And that when we find you, we found something that's greater than anything in this world. That some of us have stuff that we're afraid to let go of. I don't want to lose this. But Lord, when we find you, when we find you, everything pales in comparison. Nothing is worthy. Nothing is worthy. Nothing is worthy. In the presence of the treasure, everything becomes worthless. All of this world. Give me Jesus. You may have all this world, but give me Jesus. You may have all this world. I'd rather have Jesus than riches and fame. I'd rather have Jesus than everything this world affords. There's nothing more worthy, nothing more valuable, nothing more worthy, nothing. Lord, you're calling all of us to get saved again, to be born again, again, to be born again, again, to be saved again, to come to you again as if for the first time and say, Jesus, come into my heart, be born in me. I want to know you today. I cannot depend on yesterday's revelation. I can't depend on yesterday's encounter. I need a new encounter today. I need a new revelation today. I need a new awakening of my soul today. Lord, redeem, draw near to my heart and redeem it. For you are God, my Savior. Draw near to my soul and redeem it. For you are God, my Savior. Jesus on the inside. Come into the inside. Come on, just say that with your mouth. Come into the inside of me, Jesus. Come on in. You stand at the door and knock. You said, if I hear your voice and open the door, you'll come in. Lord, I hear your voice today and I open the door. Come in, Jesus. Come in, Jesus. Come in, Jesus. Come in again. Come in and drive out all that condemnation and all that fear, all that inferiority, all those lies of the devil that are designed to keep, keep us separate and keep us apart. Come in right now. Reveal your kingdom your righteousness. Renew me in the spirit of my mind. Wash me and cleanse me. Thank you that you said in your word that if I confess my sin, you are faithful and just to forgive me of my sin and to cleanse me of all unrighteousness. Lord, let that cleansing flow come right now as we confess our sin to you. We come to you.
because you're worthy. And when we sing, you are worthy of it all. Lord, that takes on new meaning today in light of the truth that you are the treasure. You are the treasure. You are worthy of it all. You're worthy of it all. My whole life, all of my thoughts, all of my strength, every breath that I take, you are worthy of it all. And so I surrender it to you today, afresh and anew. And just pray that with me right now, everybody. Just pray with me. Jesus, I come to you. You are the treasure. You are worthy of it all. So I surrender my all to you. I'm here today for you. Come into my heart through faith. Walk with me. Dwell with me. Set me free from every lie of the devil. Make me clean. Make me new. In your precious name I pray. Amen. Come on, give God a shout of praise in this place. Woo. I feel that this morning. Do you feel that? Just stand up on your feet right now. Come on. Come on. Just give him one more shout of praise. Come on. We're not done. Give him one more shout of praise. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Clap your hands, all ye people. Sing for joy, people of Zion. Great is the Holy One of Israel among you. We thank you, God, that you are great in our midst. You are worthy of our praise. We adore you this morning. And Father, I speak your blessing over each and every one under the sound of my voice those who are far and those who are near. Strengthen and encourage and keep by your word those whose hearts have been devoted to you. And especially those who have come to you today for the first time. I just sense by the Spirit that there's some who have opened their hearts to you, truly opened their hearts to you for the first time today. Keep them by your Spirit. Keep them by your Spirit. Keep them by your Spirit. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now I want to say one more thing to you before I release you. If you want the treasure, you need the field. The field is not the treasure, but the treasure is in the field. You want the treasure, you need the field. That's why we're here. That's why the church is here. So often we want the great physician to do house calls. And he will do house calls, but he invites you to come to the hospital too. And let me tell you why coming to the hospital is so important. Because coming to the hospital, is the, this is the place where we seek God together and we encourage one another in our faith. You see, if I'm just at my house worshiping by myself, it's just for me. But when I come to the house of God, I have no idea how my presence can inspire, encourage, and strengthen the people around me who are also seeking the presence of Jesus. Coming to the house of God to worship is a selfless act. Yes, I'm coming because I need him. But I'm also coming because somebody else needs him. And I might be able to strengthen that person. So keep that in mind. Amen? Father, I just speak your blessing over your people today by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I invoke the name of your son Jesus over each and every one. May that great name protect provide and preserve each one unto the coming of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. In his name we pray these things. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.